it is a, do- a win-win situation for us and also the overseas staff members as well because there's a huge talent that is waiting to work enthusiastically for you and it's of course is commercial but also in the other other areas you will be finding that staff pressures especially the capacity issues we have in Australia is because of the labor shortage you don't feel those things if you are to go overseas and it is a sustainable solution and because there's a constant stream of good quality staff members there that you can use in the long term while you keep the control of the firm as well You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 359 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. In the last episode, we discussed offshore labor hire, where your overseas staff is employed by a labor hire agency, but you train, manage and supervise them as if they were your own employees. Today, let's look at direct hires overseas. Teresa Vesala is a tax agent in Sydney who set up his own team with eight team members in Sri Lanka directly, so without an agency. Here's Teresa Vesala about how he set his team up and is managing his team. I ran my own practice uh, starting last March 2021 March so I had some experience even before that I was uh, running another practice there where we had overseas teams in two countries to be exact is Philippines and Taiwan and I had some hands-on experience to the way we should be utilizing resources overseas so I utilized that knowledge that transferable skills to this uh, practice to go to a different country, which is Sri Lanka, to set up a team from scratch. Can I just quickly ask you something? Did you have an office in the Philippines in Taiwan where the staff went to work or did some of the staff work remotely from home? Yeah, that's a good question. So in Taiwan, there was an office, and but in Philippines, there wasn't anything. They were working from home. Uh, there wasn't anything in the sense there was no physical uh, office there, but they were working from home. Okay. And did you find there was a difference in the quality of work or the the way they worked? Was it noticeable that the Philippine staff worked from home and the Taiwan staff worked from an office? In my opinion, uh, reflecting for about three years uh, experience dealing with uh, overseas teams, I believe it is not where they are working. The company leadership culture and the team culture dictates the quality of the work. So it doesn't matter whether you set up an office or not. If you don't have the correct infrastructure and also the framework to get the culture lying with the Australian uh, team, uh, it's not going to give good uh, results as you would expect. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. In my opinion, whether you have an office in overseas or not doesn't really matter. And then you started your own practice in March 2021. And I find it amazing that, you know, 15, 16 months later, you already have your own team overseas. How did you go about it? Answer is not same for all practices that I have seen. So different people have different experience. In my experience, there was a reason I picked a country. There was a reason I did the way I did. 
and it doesn't necessarily have to be for the other other people the reason i did this way was i'm originally from sri lanka so i had the connections there my parents live there i know the culture how they work and where to approach the talent so to answer your question i set up with one staff member and grow to a level where that accommodates the capacity needs in our practice as we grow so we already have about uh, eight to nine staff members in sri lanka the just it's very important thing so what differentiates from other arrangements other practices might or might not have is we have dedicated hr person a recruitment person in in that country which is sri lanka and uh, so that's a very important thing so that person makes the phone calls prepares the interviews and likewise but if you go to the the other factor which is i'm familiar with the culture and the people there that's a different that's also a major factor the way i did things without going through another outsourcing firm we have a hybrid model we have eight staff member eight to nine staff members at this moment but it doesn't mean that we have an office to cater eight or nine staff members we have a small office that if somebody wants to go to the say two or three staff members want to work together in a particular day to work in a physical location uh, together to in a project they can walk in and do that 95% of the time that is not the case they prefer to work from home and we have the infrastructure to work from home so that's our preferred method as well okay and so that means that all your staff members are living within the vicinity you know your your staff members are not all over sri lanka they are all within travel distance to this small office correct yes but it's a, i mean having said that it is i want to emphasize that it's not a big country as well within maximum Uh, four five hours you can travel from any part of the country to the capital um, but if you go to a different country you might have different experience for example i know the philippines there there are a few islands there you can't travel from one to another or even overnight so you got to factor all those things but that's a individual decision is in my opinion in sri lanka in this particular case i don't have that challenge because maximum two to three hours they can travel to the city but mostly within one hour and so if there's a need to work together but again having said that the technology has changed a lot of things and we have the tools to make sure that the staff can feel as if they are working together so that's our our strong suit that we are capitalizing on to make it work yes and so now you you mentioned the infrastructure a number of times so i'll go back a step uh, i mean uh, id as a i'm a registered tax practitioner so we have a code of ethics to uh, meet so that code of ethics has publication from the tax practitioners board called tpb within brackets pn 02/4/2018 to be exact it says outsourcing and and offshoring tax services code of professional conduct considerations and this is a wider document and you can't ignore this so this is the starting point now when you look at your outsourcing infrastructure if you don't start with the legal framework you are not meeting the requirements of the code as well now this legal framework clearly states that you need to make sure the data is secure i mean when it comes to technicality where data is secure i'm not the right expert but the way i structured these practices okay before i i i should mention that this tpb uh, practice note has been uh, updated over the time as well so you need to look at the most updated version now what this um, tpb requirement says 
is today is, is data security is quite paramount. So what my solution for that is the Microsoft Azure servers running in Australia, even though they are working physically in Sri Lanka, they are actually logging to the Australian server. That server is running, that server is running in an Australian server room. So data is here in Australia. They log into Australian server room. And we have actually queried from a tax board whether this is acceptable. They have accepted in the past. And we use the world-class technology uh, similar to uh, which is which is uh, Azure. Now you might find another way of doing it, but, but this is our choice. Now this server caters all the staff members overseas. So we said there's a mandatory requirement. We have locked all our login to this server only. So we can't they can't log in outside the server. And then in the server, we run these technologies like uh, Time Doctor, especially the Time Doctor to um, check what is going on. It's like a big brother. But the requirement in the past, we have seen this is the way to monitor. Otherwise, it's quite virtually impossible for us to see what, what is going on. So we have the right to know what's going on, on in their world as well. So that's the technology we use at this moment. Yeah. Okay. And do you use Practice Protect? Not at this moment, uh, because we have the two-factor authentication for almost all our software and it, it requires uh, it meets the requirements of the tax board of course you, you we, this it is a pro product we have tested in the past but we realize that the azure technology we use is actually better than that uh, so we we have that infrastructure already invested we didn't want to invest another another third party software because of that and then you'd communicate with each other through teams or through yes mostly in teams and we use sometimes uh, Zoom, but it is quite rare unless the Teams is uh, not working yet. I see. Okay, good. And then, of course, you have XPM, and then I think you use FYI and PI, correct? Yes, we use FYI docs and practice ignition, correct. Okay. So basically, both most of, of our softwares are uh, cloud software, including Zero. yeah. Yes. And do FYI and PI work for you? Yes. They, in the context of uh, outsourcing or offshoring, if you like, uh, it's working really well because everything is online. Uh, there's nothing to download. Yeah, so that's the context of offshoring. And if you look at the other context, like operational reliability and uh, efficiency, and uh, that is also gives so much of freedom for us. I mean, for example, FIA is a product that can help us to be more streamlined. So the staff have to save, for example, one client's data in a particular location, so they can't pick and choose and save documents wherever they want to. So there's only one location. Again, practice ignition, for example, operational-wise, we know there's an agreement sign, we are compliant, and we don't start the work without agreement sign. And also the collection of cash collection or the debtors are kept to a minimal because of that software. So yeah, that has worked for us. Now, coming to your team structure, so you have one team manager and then you have seven people working for this team manager, correct? Yeah, that was initial when we started. Now we have two teams. Each mm -hmm. team has a manager in Australia, a system manager here in Australia. The next one is the production manager. From that level onwards, it's overseas. And a system production manager, accountant and bookkeeper. So each team has anywhere, anywhere between four to six star members. But there's a purpose for each and every position. And there's a reason the way that it's been structured. Yeah. Let's quickly look at your Australian-based team. How many staff members do you have in Australia? Each team has two staff members. One is the assistant manager, if you like, assistant client manager, and the other one is a senior client manager. Okay, good. So you have four managers in Australia? Yep. Good. Two for each team. And 
are those for working remotely or do you have an office in Australia? We have an office in North Sydney, but we are more inclined to work from home for different reasons. And we found actually the output is more when it's working from home as well. Okay, good. So you basically have the same setup in Australia like you have in Sri Lanka. There is an office where your team members can meet and work together, but 90% of the time people work from home. Correct. And then I assume you have about four people in each team in Sri Lanka, correct? That's correct. So in one of the teams, actually, the assistant manager is absent at this moment. It's vacant, but that is the, the, the framework. In each team, yes, correct. There are three to four staff members and there's a one administration person as well. So she does only the administration work. So they're separate team. One team in Sri Lanka looks like this. It has one production manager. Then it has three bookkeepers slash accountants. Mm -hmm. And then it also possibly has an admin person. Admin person is separate team. So we have structured in a way that we have seven, at least seven teams in future. Uh, the admin and likewise production, marketing, sales, likewise. So we, we are planning to have minimum seven, seven uh, teams. I see. Okay. So the admin is actually a separate team. Yes. Admin okay. is a separate team. Yes. Okay, good. And at the moment, this admin team only consists of one admin person, but that is to grow with time. That's correct. We don't want to grow more than one person, admin person at this moment. Yeah, but we might need, need to grow the other teams, especially the production team. So the marketing and sales are also separate. Quality control, we should have a separate person or two, uh, but we, we are not that, in, that big to do that yet. Yeah. And those two teams, how are they different? Do each of them work in different industries or different size of clients, or do they work on exactly the same type of clients? They're just two different teams. Uh, they, they are working in uh, in mix, so there's no specialization as, as we like. There's sub-specialization, there's one team mostly work in uh, bookkeeping clients. But having said that, with the past experience, we're trying to make sure both teams have tax knowledge as well. Uh, we are doing the training as a legal requirement for us to demonstrate that we have done the training. So we, we because of that, we decided to do the training for both bookkeeping and accounting and also tax for each and every staff member rather than trying to too much specialize in a specialize in one area. I would be more inclined to say one team has more bookkeeping clients than the other one. Okay, I assume you have a company in Sri Lanka? Yes, there is in a corporation's law. So you, if somebody is expanding, they go to look after, especially they're going direct. They look to need to look after the, the requirements of the corporation's law or whatever the law they have. Yeah, in Sri Lanka's case, yes, there is a Corporations Act. There is a requirement to establish there if you if you are using labor. Yes. So, and this company then pays the wages. And then this company, I assume, invoices your Australian company for management services. And then you pay the Sri, so that's Lanka, Sri Lankan yes. company that's for right. the management services. Yes, so that becomes an income for that company. From whatever we paid, there's expense to Australian entity. And uh, you need to look after, like look look into the uh, transfer pricing rules. Remember, there's there's a value shifting issues, all those things. So it, mostly the transfer pricing issues, especially when you transfer, you should be making sure you are just reimbursing most of the time, not trying to push the profits there. So that's a uh, few considerations we are looking into every time we do the those cost calculations. But most of the time, 
the, we, we reimburse the cost only, basically the salaries, wages and other overheads like telephone and uh, all of the technology uh, cost. Yeah. Do you mind if I just quickly run with you through the salary now of your team? Yeah. So the today's current exchange rate, which is about uh, 250 to $1 LKR to dollar ratio, salaries for junior star members with zero experience to so say five years experience would be ranging from say $900 to say $1,400, mostly $900 to $1,200. And that's per month. Per month. That's great. So when it comes to senior star members, you're looking at between anywhere between $1,300 to $2,000 of uh, salary. Yeah. And when you say junior, but at least five years of experience in zero, that, that doesn't sound like a junior to me, five years in zero. Did you? So different, uh, you need to look, I mean, be careful when we define these experiences. In our case, we try to, unless these are very junior star members, we try to at least get somebody who has worked for an Australian company before, that was an accounting firm, to be exact. So there are outsourcing, other outsourcing companies. They, there are people who have worked for them for one or two years. They want to move on. So they have already been trained. So we have that background, uh, the hard work done. We, they could come and join and they can straight away apply their knowledge. So those people have advantage over, so they might have only one or two years experience maximum with Australian clients, but still they are far better than somebody else coming from a different industry who never worked with Australian clients and no, 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 our culture as well. So they, they might have five years old with experience, but when compared to someone who has experience with another firm, they are actually behind. So we factor those things in salaries. So that's why I say if somebody says five years experience, and if that five years experience is Australian experience, they are well high in high demand. So you've got to pay them well uh, to keep you in practice. So that, that is the message. Yep. And then somebody who is more senior than that so that is now the production manager correct the production correct. manager would yes. be 1000 to 2000 australian dollars per month yeah i would say 1400 to 2000 dollars per month yeah, again it depends on their experience yeah. the, the level, level and how detailed they have been trained and like because there are a lot of variables and uh, the, there's a recent uh, trend there they're asking for them to peg the you know Australian dollar to their salary because there's a significant inflation in that country, so it, it is a country specific issue that that might be a request you you if you go there, so you've got to be uh, wary of those things as well. Yeah, yeah, that is a, a justified request. Correct. To, yes, to be paid I, I also in, agree with in that a, in a Western currency. And then the admin person would the admin person be below the bookkeepers in terms of salary? Would, yeah, again, it depends on whether they have worked for the, the accounting firm. If they work in the accounting firm, I would say this, there's only slight difference between what they want and what the accountants would get. But if they have no experience at all, I mean, they are, they are uh, they will be uh, getting a salary at a sub two sub nine hundred dollar mark, or even even six hundred to nine hundred dollar mark. That that would be the fair fair range. And where's the average wage in Sri Lanka in comparison to this? So are these salaries kind of fairly average in Sri Lanka or are they way above what, you know, people working in Sri Lanka would be earning? That's an interesting question. Now, in Australia, if you like, if you say the average range would be 70,000, say 60 to say 150,000, it would be the 80% of the percentile of the country. But there, it is a different story. It all depends on this, uh, the industry, especially, for example, the 
the export industry in some in uh, some areas of the country are so advanced they are getting very good salaries some, some of them actually getting five to six thousand dollars a month so though, for example uh, the, the full, uh, clothing manufacturing senior position uh, they are very well high high demand again the technology uh, jobs like um, it it they they are they are getting paid more than the uh, counting staff i would say their range their range would be about 2500 to 2500 so they uh, historically the accounting salaries have been uh, the, the range that i mentioned i'm not very clear what is the reason for that but but I, i'm seeing a more and more uh, demand coming through from overseas countries to set up operations so the salaries can uh, inherently going up now yeah The reason you went, you set up your own team in Sri Lanka as, to, as opposed to, for example, going through a provider in the Philippines, I assume is a financial because it, you pay $700 and it probably has increased by now. You pay at least $700 per month just in management fee, whereas you're basically already getting a junior bookkeeper for that. So I can imagine one reason is is financial and I can imagine the other reason is cultural because of course it makes perfect sense to work with somebody from your cultural background rather than adjusting to a, a cultural culture background that is not yours correct those yeah I, I agree with certain areas but there are certain areas that uh, need to be a bit amended in terms of opinion the areas that I agree yes financial um, of course this is uh, there's an incentive that you don't have to go through somebody else and there's no management fees involved The second uh, most important thing uh, is when when I actually looked at I, mean, I don't want to mention names to or whatever I looked at few other firms that providing that provides these staff members and I actually had a look at their staff profiles and how they operate the key observation was we had to anyway train them of course they are training in their office in say Philippines or Manila or whatever what I realized was they are training might be really good but we have to still again train them for our work now I, i thought why don't we as a firm set up our policies record these training sessions and use as a training bank so we can use in the future why do i have to spend time and so the same matter when we can find a very cost effective option as also is a durable because when whenever the team team comes and goes there's a team uh, re- recording bank we can use to train star members so i realized though that again paying a management fee doesn't give me that advantage of course other than is i'm comfortable with sri lanka so you doesn't have to be for you because you might not know that country so you don't need some hand holding in a different country firm so then you might have to go to, to a company like toa or something else uh, the other one was actually labor shortage in australia you know that issue there's a constant issue uh, we recently advertised for a manager junior manager and it almost uh, zero applications uh, I mean that fits in our criteria. The people there's a severe labor shortage as well. But you 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 find good staff members overseas. Actually, sometimes better than here in the quality wise. So uh, and there's a lot of incentive to go there and make sure that they actually doing their work and also they they actually earning more than their peers in their same age uh, being working for an outsourcing company. Yeah. I have two more questions for you. One is very quick. What's the time difference? It is four and a half hours. So they start at seven o'clock, their local time, which is 11.30 Australian time, which is quite okay because by 11.30, the Australian staff has 
open their emails and have done yeah. their you know work and then you can they're ready to delegate or work with them with them so that that works really perfect even after we switch off everything in australia after after four or five o'clock they still have another three four hours to go and it works really well especially if there's a urgent work to be done and then i actually realized it was three questions so my second question is Have you ever thought of the issue of moonlighting? I think it's called moonlighting and it's basically staff working for other clients either while they're on the clock with you or after they're on the cl clock with you. Have you ever thought of that issue or have you ever come across that issue? That's an interesting question. There is a possibility someone would do that. For me, so our requirement is to work for five days a week, uh, the required number of hours. We typically don't want our staff members to work extra hours. They might do these things after hours, but my opinion, they might not be able to do within our, our hours because our systems monitor the time and, you know, keystrokes and uh, mouse movements and everything. There's a big brother looking after them and um, they are aware of that as well. We can minimize that risk. We can't eliminate that risk. So that, that could be a possibility. And some staff members have been really open to us. They have mentioned that they already have one or two clients they are working on. So we have given the acceptance with the condition that they work after hours or in the weekends. So that, that works for both parties. And we, we, we personally, we don't have anything against that. It, it only is being, being upfront with us and mentioned that there's something going on like similar to that. So with, within the interviews, that's, that's why you need to have a, a local HR manager uh, at least working part-time for you uh, that knows what is going on that country give me give you the advice and uh, honest person that gives you tell me that this, this is a reliable person or not so that i have that advantage i have someone works just for the recruitment and purely for australian so they are, he has australian client experience working for other firms as well so they he knows within the interview he will tell the story whether this is a reliable uh, representation of their, their affairs so we can understand before we recruit whether some this is some suitable candidate or not. So you must have somebody there who can actually manage the operations. If there's a, a power failures or if something goes wrong, cultural issues or uh, whatever it is they, they, that, that is local to them, you need to have someone who independently advise, uh, other not, not your staff members. When you think back of your experience over the last 16 months, can you give me an example of something that went really well, that you're really glad you did it that way? You weren't sure at the start, but you're really happy and glad you did it. And then also something that went really wrong, that with hindsight, you wouldn't have done this way again? Yeah. So what went really good is, I mean, if you, if you like, there's a huge demand for accountants in Australia at this moment, there's an undersupply of Uh, good accountants. So if you really do work well, you get so much of communication coming into the practice every day. So one of the challenges I had was uh, the managing these correspondence, ticketing, doing a ticketing system, making sure all the emails are responded. And initially I was doing myself and I realized to the point that it is not working anymore. It's outside my control, too much volume. So I actually set up a system uh, it's a ticketing system. Then now when I, when I get, uh, say, 10 tasks uh, a given day, It is automatically allocated to juniors uh, or, or even senior staff members overseas. They manage it, their priorities and also demand the supplier, everything like how, who is going to do that, who, uh, who is best at what it is. They demand, and then they give the final product to me. I just have to review the work. So that has saved substantial amount of time for me. So I can focus on client communication or the phone or likewise. 
Uh, what didn't really work uh, in the past that I we change already uh, is um, the expectation. So sometimes if you you might think okay, if Australian staff member can do uh, x amount of work, you expect x amount of work from overseas staff. I, I think this is one of the biggest mistake I did there. You might have to say x minus certain amount and give that you understand that they are overseas. They they haven't had that background. You're still training them, or they've been trained, but you're not to the level that we would expect an Australian star member. So you got to be patient. Sometimes you think some just certain job can be done by one uh, headcount one, but when you go overseas, you might have to give a better uh, buffer. Like it might cost 1.2 staff heads, for example, rather than just one. So you got to be making sure you have to, for example, if if you think a particular client base. Uh, 500,000 client base needs uh, two to three star members in Australia, you might have to actually accept that you need extra star member compared to Australia to make sure that they don't feel too much pressure as well. Technologically, they because you can't see them, they can't immediately ask questions, so that adds to the inefficiencies. You need to cater those uh, issues as well, so then they don't feel like there's too much pressure. And because of the cost advantage, you don't mind, mind even accruing an extra star member and they, they stay with your practice for longer as well. Because otherwise what happens is when you put too much, uh, if, you, if you try to strictly follow chargeable hours and everything, it's not going to be a pleasant experience because there's a, there could be stuff turnover as well as a burnout. Can you give me a, a rough estimate of your annual turnover? Yeah, so, so we, we only traded for 15 months. We are a bit overstaffed as well. We, we, we have about two to three staff members more than what we need, purposely done training them to grow. So we are billing close to about 700 to 800,000 a year now. So remember, I mean, this all not all these clients are, if you like, homegrown. We, we had some clients coming from previous practice as well. So I had a client base start to start with uh, 30, uh, last year, March. And then uh, it's not, it, maybe it's about one fifth of the client base I have. The remainder I had to, to grow myself. I mean, in terms of the fee, yes. yeah, Yes. But if you look at the team structure that Chen, I don't know whether you have heard of Ed Chen, but Ed Chen has this team structure of finder, minder and grinder. When you look at that structure, then you're not overstaffed at all. Then you are right on track because you're close to a million dollars of turnover. I mean, we are trying to grow slowly as well. Looking at, if you, if you forget about the uh, fees, but look at the structure, which is very close to what Chen and Ella has. And so the, I think I'm, if I can recall correctly, they have the finder as the senior client manager and, a, and another finder is being groomed as an assistant client manager. And you have the grinders as a, you know, in overseas location, which is the production manager. So which is quite, yes, as you like, which is quite similar. And you ask the question whether we have too much or too less. And it's again, it's a, it's a trial and error. Sometimes you find uh, some teams, if it is too steep, they, they lose the interest as well. So some, some team members don't want to get uh, reviewed too much, uh, too many people, uh, I mean, in, in their team reporting, being reported or, I mean, this, if, you, if, you like, if you like too much, uh, too tall structures, it can damage some people's morale as well. So that's why we don't want to go have too many star members under the production manager as well. But that I could be wrong when we grow, we might actually end up doing that. But at this moment, that is what, what we at this moment, yeah. Is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Not really. I mean, in, in, in terms of the, the, if you ask the question, whether you recommend uh, the going out, of course, I, I 100% recommend. It is a, do, a win-win situation for us. 
and also the overseas staff members as well because there's a huge talent that is waiting to work enthusiastically for you and it's of course is commercial but also in the other other areas you will be finding that staff pressures especially the capacity issues you have in australia is because of the labor shortage you don't feel those things if you are to go overseas and it is a sustainable solution and because there's a constant stream of good quality staff members there that you can use in the long term uh, while you keep the control of the firm as well so this is just a one way of working running a star, uh, practice there are other ways of running practices as well i know some practices are so reluctant to outsource and there are some practices they outsource to australian uh, other firms so that's another model uh, some I, i'm fully aware of some practices they the practice manager director just do the onboarding the other things are done by another firm and they they share the profits you know there's so many different structures that might be suitable for you it's a it's your choice the way you want to do so this is my choice at this moment uh, this juncture of our growth trajectory so after a few years we might do a hybrid structure that's adds to this you never know so that's this has worked very well in the past uh, past year so for for us yes It is interesting that Theresa combines working from home with a central office for his overseas staff. That is the exception for direct hires. Most direct hires work from home and only from home. I didn't ask Theresa for more details about this office, but I assume that this office he mentions is a shared workplace arrangement, so something that is not exclusively for Theresa's team, but that they can use for a few hours per week or months when they need it. That's what I'm assuming, but I might be wrong. Today, we touched on the team structure at Chen of Wise Mentoring and Chen and Naylor Recommends. And if you haven't listened to episode 200 recently, please have another listen because it's a really helpful episode. And the interviews we do with Ed Chen, it's not just episode 200, but I think goes over four or five interviews. But in these interviews, Ed Chen proposes a blueprint structure for teams. And it basically goes like this. For a turnover of 1 million Australian dollars, you have a team of five grinders, one or two minders, and one finder. So looking at the five grinders, one is the production manager, and then the other four are normal bookkeepers or accountants. So the production manager is basically the team manager who manages this team to produce the work. Then you have a client manager called the minder, possibly supported by an assistant client manager. So for one million turnover, you have a team of five grinders plus one or two client managers, aka minders, and then the partner, aka the finder. But the partner is not directly involved in the day-to-day -day business and might have up to five teams, each managing a million dollars of turnover. And The partner's main task, apart from setting the framework that all of this is working properly, the partner's main task is client acquisition. So for one million turnover, you have five grinders, one or two minders, and then one finder. So when you break this down, each of the five grinders should be able to produce the work for $200,000 of turnover. One million dollars divided by five grinders is $200,000. So Just quickly do this mental exercise with me. Look at the size of your team that does actual production work. Translate that into full-time equivalents. And if you are involved in production work, then include that as well. So for example, if you spend half of your time on production work, count yourself 
as 0.5 full-time equivalents. And so now, do you have your number? Do you have that number in your head? Your full-time equivalents in your team. And then multiply that number, that full-time equivalent, by 200,000. That is the turnover your team should be able to manage given its size. And the big question is, do you hit that benchmark? If you don't, don't beat yourself up. I don't meet it either, but that is what I'm working towards. I think it is a good general rule to aim for. Your full-time equivalent of production workers times $200,000 of Australian dollars. And of course, I haven't considered inflation. We did the interviews with Ed Chen in 2019, long before COVID and everything. So his $1 million turnover benchmark probably has increased by now. But for now, $1 million of turnover is a good round number. Now, today and last week, we spoke a lot about overseas teams and overseas accountants. So next week, let's actually talk with an accountant who used to work for a labor hire agency in the Philippines and has now left to set up her own business. Let's ask her for some insider information. Looking further ahead, so episode 361 and 362, let's do a quick detour and talk about the Carter case and the disclaimer of trust income with Andrew Henshaw, because the Carter case has fundamentally changed how you can disclaim trust income. And then in episode 363, let's come back with one more episode to the topic of offshoring. We haven't mentioned to her many times, and it is time that we discuss the alternative you have, and that is to set up your own team. So in four weeks, in episode 363, let's go into the nitty-gritty details of how to build your team overseas without a labor hire agency, to find your staff, how to employ, how to manage, and how to pay them. That is the plan for episode 363. So that was the look ahead. But now back to next week, episode 360, you will hear from an offshore accountant in the Philippines and gain some very helpful insights. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Music